Welcome to the Forcedex Metric Minute brought to you by Vault Performance. My name is Kareem Durkawi and today we'll talk about phase asymmetry. Now please keep in mind these are just examples. Be careful not to try and evaluate an entire movement strategy based on solely a single force time trace. More information is always needed. Now in this screenshot from the Forcedex software, the eccentric phase is in purple, the concentric phase a nice beige color, and then later on the landing occurs. Left force is in blue, right force is in orange, and if you add the two together, you'll get total force, which is in gray. Body weight is denoted by the green area that runs left to right. But let's go ahead and keep things simple. Here we see a nearly perfect counter movement jump repetition. We know it's a well-balanced force output from this individual because the left and right sides are nearly in complete harmony with one another. Here we see a little bit of a different story. There's a moderate left-sided asymmetry in the eccentric phase, a nearly perfect concentric phase, and then a very large left-sided asymmetry upon landing. Now this individual probably does not want to load fast and hard on the right side, but even more so in the landing phase when velocity is higher, peak impact force is higher, rate of force development is higher, plus there's a proprioceptive and afferent feedback demand that has to coordinate a safe and effective landing. So the stakes are higher in the landing phase, and so that's probably why the asymmetry is exacerbated there. Here we see a very clear right-sided dominance. Even before the movement begins, this individual is leaning onto the right side. So eccentric, concentric, and especially landing, we see a very large right-sided preference the entire jump through. Here there's a low slash moderate asymmetry during the eccentric and concentric phases. There's not a clear preference left side or right. However, the same cannot be said about the landing phase. So this individual might be trying to avoid impact on the right side, however, we can definitely see that the asymmetry is inconsistent in the, e in the eccentric and concentric phases, but more so in the landing phase, it's very clear. Finally, we have this idea of the breaking phase crossover point. So essentially, if you remember from previous episodes, the breaking phase is when an individual starts to reverse the trend of downward force application and start to put force in the ground, tense up and apply a lot more uh, energy to the, to the movement preparation period. So now what we see here is when that kicks in, there's a right side of preference from that moment of increasing force output. So the left side is, is above upon standing and also an unweighing, but then as soon as things start to tense up and get a little bit tougher, the right side kicks in and takes over, especially during the landing phase. Now, a couple of key takeaways is that everything's based on time and force production and movement strategy. So essentially the phase asymmetry patterns can reveal much about performance and potential injury risk. If you have any thoughts or want to follow up on anything at all that's been covered here, please reach out to us at Vault Performance or my personal email address. Thank you. The world of strength and conditioning is filled with some awesome practitioners who are always trying to evolve and continue to grow professionally throughout their career. The problem with many of us, though, is finding a new outlet, a new way and a new perspective on the questions that we may have, whether it be programming, whether it be situational with dealing with coaches, or whether it be career advice. Because all too often what happens is we get stuck in with the same group of friends and the same group of colleagues that we reach out to for advice repeatedly over and over again. But what we should really be looking for is different perspectives different people who have been through different situations who can help us make better decisions both for ourselves and our athletes. And one awesome place to start with that is the forums in the Strength Coach Network. In the forums in the Strength Coach Network, you'll be able to reach out and get feedback, input, and advice from coaches from all over the world, from everything from career advice to training modalities to programming 
There's people there just for the same reason as you are, to try to get better, to learn, to share information, and to grow the field of strength and conditioning. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPS. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPS to dive into all that great content today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Jay DeMeo coming at you with this week's edition of My Thoughts Monday. This week, I'm going to give a quick little reflection of a conversation we had during fellowship this week, and it's something that I think is sort of a negative byproduct of a lot of the training that we do as strength coaches, um, and it's something that I think a lot of us overlook, and a lot of us may you know, kind of miss the boat on a little bit here when we're looking at how we develop our athletes. You know, before I get too far into it, I think one thing that we have become really good with and something that has been really a, a more adamant talking point, if you may, is progressions and regressions of exercises in the weight room. I think these are cool. I think these are kind of sexy to talk about. And I think that they're, they're fun for us, right? To be able to look at patterns or movements or muscles join actions and say, okay, can athlete do X? If not, they do Y. If they can and they stagnate and they need to have it intensified, how do we do that? And that's really cool, right? Like, like that's super awesome because it allows us to individualize training. It allows us to make sure that everyone's getting better and it allows us to make sure that we're giving the athlete precisely what they need. But we may not always do that when we look at our energy system development. And I think that when we look at energy system development or conditioning or whatever we want to call it now, that's going to be a cool and sexy term. I think all too often we look at that as a group approach, which is good. There's a lot of good by having the athletes do the same thing, right? Camaraderie, having them go through stuff together, brings them together and, you know, builds team and yada, yada, yada. But we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about the physical development of the athletes. And when you're looking at conditioning programs, we know that you basically can lump the athletes into three different groups. The first group is the athletes that are just crushing it, right? If it's 16 110s in 16 seconds, they're running it in 14. Then the second group you've got, you're going to have the group that is hitting the times or hitting the zones and has to put forth effort, and is continuing to climb a little bit and continue to get a little bit better. And then you're going to have your third group, right? Which is just going to be kind of struggle busting and going to have a hard time and are not going to be, you know, doing great. But they're also probably going to be the group that has the greatest improvements through the program. Well, relative improvements, we should say, through the program. But basically what we're doing is we're regressing everyone to the mean. We're not making the best players better. And we might not be giving the lower end players, the ones that are having the hardest time, the proper stimulus if they're struggling that much to keep up. So while the third group, as Hank Krasenhoff would say, is getting what they need, not what they can handle, the other two groups are not. So while we're super good and we have found some really successful ways at progressing and regressing weight room means, I don't know if we've necessarily been as successful and done as well 
outside or with the conditioning or energy system development or whatever we want to call it. Now, that can be hard to do, right? If you're running outside with a group, it might be hard to completely individualize it. But if we have some stop points or some check-in points where we're looking at things, where we can make easy modifications, well, now, all of a sudden, we're able to individualize and allow these athletes to all continue to progress. Because if we're going to spend time working on this situation or working on this specific adaptation, shouldn't we be doing what we can to elicit that adaptation and making sure that we're providing an adequate stimuli to the athlete to elicit the adaptation? So let's start with the group below. The group below that's really struggling, maybe they're not ready for that intensive work. Or maybe we need to shorten the workload, provide more rest, break the setup more. If this was lifting, you would look at cluster sets or things like that. So maybe splitting the set into more series to allow them to be successful, perform adequate reps, give them a little bit of a break, and start breaking down the time between series may be an adequate method, uh, method or alteration to that. Yeah, you're going to have to run two stopwatches. Or yeah, you're going to have to trust that group to handle the time themselves for their, their middle rest periods. But if we can do that and allow them to adapt at a greater rate to catch up to the group, it's something that we need to be able to find a way to do. Even if it means running an extra group, which, again, I'm the first person to, you know, preach being efficient and all of that. But sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Or maybe it means changing the, the method altogether. If they're not ready for tempo, which in all intents and purposes is what a 110 is. If they're not ready for tempo, maybe they need more, you know, anaerobic threshold work or cardiac output work long, slow distance to get in shape. I know some people are going to say, but that's blasphemy. But if they don't have the base to build on, what are you going to build upon? And then when you look at the advanced group, well, what are simple ways that you can intensify the means? Well, you can cut the time at work. You can cut the time of rest. You could increase the number of repetitions. Or you can increase change of direction. You can increase resistance on it. Are they running up a hill? Are they doing things on an erg so you can up the, the damper a bit to make them have to pull harder on a Versa climber? Can you tighten it up a little bit to make them have to work a little harder? Can you add, if it's a 110, can you go 55 and back? That change of direction makes it harder. It intensifies it. And now it will allow them to increase their adaptation and to quote unquote, improve their energy system development, improve their conditioning, and continue to increase the stimuli so that they therefore can continue to adapt and get better. I think this is something that we've made harder than we need to. I think this is something that we've probably, and we, by we, I mean me, where I've run away from it because yeah, Having different groups doing different things is hard and running different 
timers or allowing the athletes to run the timer for themselves is challenging because a you're going to have two clocks going two things at once and I'm the kind of person that struggles just keeping one thing going in the right direction at times so sometimes two would be a difficult challenge but trusting them to make sure that the five minutes between series is all you take and we're getting back on the line and we're like yo JD we're ready to go that's not easy to do either but if we're going to try to say that every athlete needs what every athlete needs in order to advance and develop, but then we're going to throw the whole group together and just give them one cookie cutter program for what might be the most important aspect to developing their skill later. And that is improving their ability to handle practice and for practice to be easier then I think we're cutting our nose in spite of our face by not setting stop points and checkpoints and allowing us to individualize that aspect of training to a greater extent. Now, again, this is a conversation that Beach and I had during fellowship that really kind of hit home and made me think about things and made me look at what we're doing. And I'm going to talk a little bit about it uh, in my presentation this weekend uh, at the virtual seminar. Uh, but it's something that I think that is, is important, that we find ways to look at our energy system work to say, is this appropriate for them? Are they still adapting? Does it need to change? And if so, do we need to intensify it, completely alter it, or do we need to make it a bit easier so that they actually can adapt and come back and continue to grow? Would love to hear how anyone else is doing this, though, because, I, again, I think this is harder than it is in the weight room. I think it's easy for us, well, at least for me, to sit here and be like, oh, well, you can't do a hip hinge. Well, if you're having a problem with X part of the movement, we can do Y instead, so it helps you to correct this problem or strengthen around the area, and then we can move forward. But splitting those other things up and kind of multitasking at times can be a challenge. So I'd love to hear how y'all are doing it, breaking it down, splitting it up. What are your checkpoints? What are your stop points? And where do you see this can be better for everyone else? Because as always, we're just trying to drive conversation and help us do better for the athletes we get to work with every day. But as always, I truly appreciate everything y'all do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We'll be back next week with another My Thoughts Monday. I'll see you then.